I have to use my phone for everything. I don't want it to. And this is where, you know, we'll think we'll probably delve into this later, but this is where biometrics really can help unlock more devices future. Welcome to the future of a podcast by Fresh Consulting, where we discuss and learn about the future of different industries, markets, and technology verticals. Together, we'll chat with leaders and experts in the field and discuss how we can shape the future human experience. I'm your host, Jeff Dance. In this episode of The Future Of, we're joined by Micah Wilbrand to explore the future of advanced biometrics. Welcome, Micah. It's a pleasure to have you with me on this episode. We're excited for you to share your vision of where things are going, your experience, and your knowledge with us. Yep. Great to be here, Jeff. Super excited talking with you today. If you can start with uh, telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself, your experience in advanced biometrics, that'd be helpful. Yeah, sure. So... I've been in the identity and, and biometric market uh, going on for, for more than two decades now. So it, it's, been, it's been a little bit uh, of a journey. You know, started off primarily focusing on data and the intersection of data uh, around customer experience and, and working, which uh, led me to, you know, working for lots of big companies, but also enabled me to, to work overseas and moved to the UK. Uh, ended up living in the UK for 10 years, you know, just coming back recently back to the States. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the roles that I had, you know, really led through, you know, sort of the journey that we've seen for customer experiences and customer onboarding, um, both from a regulatory point of view to enable, you know, know your customer type requirements, but then also customer experience type relationships. So the likes of LexisNexis, working with them, working on, you know, payments and authentication of payments with the subsidiary called Acuity. And then working with a financial crime provider called Nice Actimize, which is doing, you know, loads of cool things uh, around uh, fraud and identity and, and bringing all of those elements together and kind of ended up leading that business uh, for, for a bit before moving to be the managing director of the Experian UK identity business uh, in 2018 to 2020. So, uh, you know, just uh, really enjoy, you know, working with technology and analytics and, and the burgeoning, you know, use of machine learning and AI. Uh, and now, you know, came back to the States and um, with NEC, so the, so the Japanese uh, conglomerate. Uh, so here I'm the chief product officer and uh, vice president for their uh, identity business for, for enterprise and so non-governmental work. So I'm responsible for um, all applications that we have around biometrics, as well as digital identity, going into um, aviation, financial services, retail you know, all of those use cases that are out there and, and really, you know, helping us broaden and innovate uh, NEC's approach in, into those markets. Your experience seems really deep. It's not, you know, often that you have someone who's had a significant leadership role, you know, across so many different companies in this field. So we're really grateful to have you here with us. One of the things that you had mentioned, you know, having so many leadership roles, you had mentioned that you care about being a visionary leader, but also leading teams in a pragmatic way. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I think that's an important principle. Yeah, well, I think where where a lot of technology firms fail, um, especially big enterprises, is we either some companies are either too operationally focused. You know, they they had a product, and I've worked in businesses like this, where it, you know, effectively everyone knows that you're a cash cow, right? It was technology that was built 15 years ago, and it's being used to fund other parts of the business perfectly reasonable reasons for companies to do that and do that and, and work that way. But I've also worked with companies where they're selling something that the market's not going to accept for five or six years. 
great technology. It's just the the market's not quite ready. So I think you know a lot of the roles that I've had and and what I'm trying to instill at NEC and, and kind of the groups that I work with is really you know being hyper focused on the use cases that we're selling into and really finding not only the buyers but you know where the consumer is as part of this journey. We're a B two B company. Uh, we don't sell B two C, but you know if if consumers, especially when you're dealing in biometrics and identity who have a whole host of questions, you know, if they're not ready to be comfortable around, why am I using my face for this? Why am I using a fingerprint or what are you doing? You know, that, that leads to, to a lot of issues. So we just want to make sure that, you know, we're really focused on, you know, one being producing products and services that, that are privacy and consent focused, but also, you know, that, that are really going to make consumers and citizens lives easier over the long run and, and just really being focused on that rather than on focusing on the tech or just trying to just sell something to make some numbers. I think NEC is uh, lucky to have you, you know, given all of your experience, also your perspective. I don't know if the listeners know this, but NEC is probably the world's leader in sort of advanced biometrics. So it's great to have you to think about the future. There's so many things happening right now. You know, the pandemic that we had, the confluence, like you mentioned, of, of AI of machine learning, of computer vision, of the issues around uh, borders and borders opening up or closing down and access and and so many things that changed in the pandemic. There, and then obviously technology marching along. You know, I'm thrilled to be able to kind of explore, explore this future with you. Before we do, I think it's be really good for the audience just to understand more of today. Like where are we today before we really talk about the future? Can you, for those kind of unfamiliar with the term, can you tell us more about like what advanced biometric is, like biometrics is, and like what are some of the core components of like advanced biometrics that are commonly utilized? Yeah. So, I mean, I think they're pretty straightforward. So biometrics, uh, largely, I think most people uh, from movies or, or whatever else in your day-to-day life you're kind of familiar with, you're familiar with fingerprinting, putting your fingers and the ink and, and rolling them on for people that are being booked going to jail or for other activities. Yep. You know, we, you do, you know, facial biometrics on your phone. And I think that's what most people are familiar with is like accessing their devices or things like that. A billion people probably do that with iPhones <laughs> now, right? Like yeah. maybe 2 billion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, like you said, pre-COVID, just the use of Apple Pay. You know, I don't think people would be like, oh, I want to use my face to confirm a transaction. Now, especially in the States, it's, it's secondhand. You don't even think about it that much anymore. And so, you know, that that's in, in one of the outgrowths of COVID is, is sort of that acceptance of sort of basic biometrics. I, I think when we talk about advanced biometrics is really two factors. One is a lot of the biometric algorithms that are out there, regardless of, of what you're looking at, uh, be it a retina or iris scan or face or voice or whatnot. In labs, you know, have tremendous accuracy, you know, 99, like accuracy. Uh, the problems that often we see is that in the real world, the real world is not a lab. It's very messy. And uh, so one of the aspects of advanced biometrics is just the significant improvement through analytics of cleaning up, just, you know, getting rid of the noise that, that you would get in an image or that you would get in an audio file. And if anyone's seen that Google Pixel commercial that's out. You know, you can kind of see that where Google is pitching, hey, we can remove blurs uh, from your photos or we can remove objects. And just imagine that a thousand times better. And, and so that's where it's really enabled us to do it, to really push through and get better accuracy in the real world. Um, but the second aspect is really just how do we get a biometric? Because really, 
it is there is a bit of a barrier. You need a piece of hardware. You've got you've got to have something to capture it. Um, so we're seeing new techniques. Um, one of which is called you know photo photoacoustic imaging, and that's through the use of lasers and ultrasound. And so in the future, you know, we'll have what we call contactless fingerprints. So you won't have to press anything. It can be used on a phone and. And it's, it's using these combination of techniques to generate an image that's then put together f- through machine learning and, and AI type analytics to, to really draw out what's going through. So we're going to start to see a lot of changes are around, you know, how we capture that image, how machine learning goes about it, but then, you know, different biometrics. Uh, I think one of the coolest things is we have a patent on an ear canal <laughs> biometric. I didn't know that you actually had a, a, a singular ear canal print, but apparently we do. And so like if you have a headphone in or your AirPods, you know, we can start to do something along that. So, you know, just the, these changes and, and over the next decade that we'll start to see come in. Nice. Instead of like, instead of using my eyes, I'm maybe like putting my ear to the side. And, <laughs> yeah. And have... yeah, it'd be a little weird, put your ear to, to make the payment. But uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I think as and where advanced biometrics really are going to come in and you make a good point is, you know, the smartphone world has really taken over, you know, smart, it, the, your device really controls kind of your day to day. But I, I think, and, you know, you look at the manufacturers, you know, devices probably are going to go away in 10 years. I can't, it drives me crazy. I have to use have my to phone, use my phone, phone for everything. You know, I, I don't want it to. And, and this, this is, is where, where, you know, we'll, we'll think, we'll think probably we'll probably delve into later, later, but this is where biometrics, is where biometrics really, can, really can unlock, unlock a more deviceless future. future. Love to talk about that more. I think as we, as we talk about the future, I envision, you know, we've kind of, over time, we've gotten screens, have gotten narrow, 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 smaller, and it's like, but I envision the future being, it being more invisible, right? And the only way for that to happen, for technology to be invisible, if it requires access to authenticate who you are, to give you the information and, and interact and engage, is for something natural, like something that's that doesn't require input, right? But that could be your voice, it could be your face, it could be your ear, it could be the way you're walking, it could be... You mentioned photoacoustic imaging for your fingerprints. It could be any of these things, but I think that's the gateway for like a more natural, you know, experience in the future. But before we get there, I got to stick a little bit more to the present. So like, what are some common use cases for like, you know, biometrics today? I know there's things that have been done for a long time. You mentioned uh, crime scenes or, you know, getting booked into to someplace by having to give your fingerprints, but like what on the, you know, outside of that kind of security sense. And I know there's a lot that happens in a security sense. I, I heard that NEC helped identify the Boston uh, bomber with, you know, with uh, some of their tech, which is significant, but tell me more about like common use cases. Yeah. So I think, and what we're really excited about is obviously government and security, as you mentioned, do quite a bit. And, you know, you've probably experienced this if you've traveled, you know, into or outside of the United States, you know, we, you know, help do the biometric matching for border patrol to ensure that the person entering the U.S. is the same person on the passport and, and, you know, and leaving as well. So I think a lot of people probably have experienced that and are now starting to see, you know, an outgrowth in the aviation industry. So we started working directly with airports and airlines four or five years ago. And, you know, now you're starting to see uh, the crop up of this a little bit more. So, you know, Delta um, has various gates at Detroit or Hartsfield-Jackson Airport in Atlanta, where you can board with just your face. You know, you're seeing this at TSA checkpoints in Dallas-Fort Worth as well. And, you know, we're starting to see more of what we call a ticketless journey. So this is where, you know, you, you can use your face and your ticket is assigned to your face. So, 
you can just walk onto the airplane. You don't, you don't need to fumble for your ticket or figure out how you get the QR code to scan and, and, and do all of that. So that's the one I think people probably will, will experience more in the real world. We talked a little bit earlier just about Apple Pay and using that. I mean, that's, uh, that's a facial biometric. Um, that's an authentication method that, that they use to confirm a transaction. And, you know, we we're talking a little bit about this too, uh, but, you know, I think this is where we're really going to start to see an outgrowth fraud and, and chargebacks in the financial services industry is, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. It's just a, a real problem. And so, you know, I think we're going to start to see more of that because of data breaches and, and all the data problems we have in the world where, you know, biometric authentication to confirm a transaction will, will really help clean that up and eliminate a lot of that fraud, a lot of waste in the corporate world as well. You know, you know, just the various fraud schemes for, you know, payments and, and whatnot. So, that's, you know, when, when we talk about non-security, you know, what we're really seeing is really places where we see a lot of fraud and a lot of waste in, in, in day-to-day interactions. And then on the flip side is how can I eliminate lines in a physical as- you know, aspect if I'm going to a stadium or whatnot? How can I make it easier so I can just walk into the stadium and, you know, just be able to enjoy my time there as opposed to standing in a queue for, for a half hour, 45 minutes? Not have gatekeepers essentially that's yes, with, yes, with old sure. technology. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting. I recently came in from an international trip just uh, last week and it was like one of the fastest ends I've ever experienced. I was like, they, I think they, they keep evolving, but I think part of that is with biometrics. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, th- that's it. Just boom. You know, I'm in. I think when we did some testing, I, I think we're able to improve the process by seven minutes on boarding a plane through the change of facial biometrics versus ticket. And so, you know, if you're, you know, airlines are all about efficiency now. I got to turn the plane. I got to turn it quickly. And, you know, seven minutes is that's a 20, that almost 30% improvement for them. So, you know, it, it's a significant time saver for them. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, a lot of great, you know, customer, you know, uh, experiences come from it. I think, you know, you talk about payments and, and I've been, I do a fair amount of large wires and we've done some, a few acquisitions at Fresh Consulting. And so, Sometimes there's some large wire transactions and I'm like talking to someone over the phone, you know, and I'm like giving them these numbers and I'm like, isn't there a more secure way to do this? (laughs) So I could envision how like for payments, you know, you could have like a progressive biometric path, right? Where it's like, you know, you use multiple modes or something like that. But yeah, when we talk about it, like you said, it's, it's crazy, you know, to send a $10 million wire transfer and like the process today is a notary or, you know, even some aspects, you don't even need that. Like it's just confirmation on phone. And, and this is, you know, a lot of companies get burned by this. There's a, a whole fraud called CEO fraud. And when we do work with financial service companies, we do, you know, what we call like a tier or multimodal approach where, you know, if it's over a certain threshold, use a really strong facial biometric. If it's less, you know, maybe a fingerprint or, or voice print or something else, just to kind of help give a better confirmation. Yeah. One of my favorite classes in college was a fraud class. And surprisingly, I don't I don't know why, but it was just fascinating what how people, you know, did fraud. And I actually did an accounting degree. I typically don't tell people that that I was once a CPA because then, you know, people don't like creative accountants, but because I was I've been in the creative space for the last 15 years and, you know, even kind of led the kind of the creative side of our company for for a period of time. But you know, I, I had my background was a was sort of financial in in education. Back then, they were saying about 6% of companies' bottom line was going to fraud, you know, on average. And so that's like how widespread it was. And I think now today, it seems like it's worse because they have like entire 
don't know what the term would be, but these uh, organizations in Malaysia and other countries that are just like, you know, an empire built around, you know, the fraud and defrauding people. And it works, you know? So it's, and how people get forced into that. I've been reading lots of articles about that. But so being able to combat that, given how much our world is moving into kind of the pure technology digital realm, it's like, how do you combat that? You know, and, you know, biometrics is, is part of that solution, right? A big part of that solution to say, hey, we can, we can authenticate and know that you are you, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I always, I always joke um, that, you know, fraudsters are not dumb. You know, they're, if they, if they had actually put their talents toward more legal things, it would be amazing what, what the world would come to. But yeah, it's, I, I think you're right. It's 6% is probably right. And it is, it's just the, the, the campaigns and the things they can do. It's just super easy to just rip people off. So yeah, hopefully we can start. That. The mobsters of today live in the dark web and in <laughs> yes, these, you know, like these massive fraud based organizations that are all like behind the scenes, you know, I guess they were kind of behind the scenes back then, but it was, a, it was a physical aspect versus a, a digital dark sort of aspect. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. So tell us, you know, you hear a lot about concerns around ethics in this, you know, tell us more about like regulations or sort of guidelines and, you know, that govern kind of the use of advanced biometrics. You know, I, I've been impressed with NEC's mm-hmm perspective on ethics. And that's why we've been interested in sort of partnering in the past. Whereas a lot of technology companies, it's like, you know, free for all, like, you know, they give you kind of free for all and they're kind of biometrics as a service in a sense. But tell us more about your perspectives on that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a super important topic. And, you know, it's one of the barriers actually for, for the market to really accept it. Because, you know, as I said, we're talking about advanced biometrics. And some of it is, you know, consumers just, you know, when they hear biometrics, you know, the hair stands up on the back of their neck and like, what are they doing? And, you know, when I talk to my family, my parents are like, hmm, are we turning into minority report? And, you know, all the, all that, all those kinds of aspects. So one of the things that, that really attract me to NEC, because as you said, is, you know, working with them is that, you know, the, the aspects that they've been doing have been built with privacy, consent, and ethics from the beginning. You know, a lot of companies that are out there that we won't name names, but, you know, have just been, let's grab some money until we get a fine and then maybe we'll figure it out later. You know, working in, you know, one of the core pillars uh, of NEC is about responsible growth. It's about, you know, really improving the life for citizens and the life for consumers and and making that life easier, but not at the detriment of, you know, non-ethical business practices and, and selling on, you know, things that we shouldn't. So in terms of regulations, you know, it's super important. I think we're we're not seeing a holistic regulation come out, especially here in the states. There's not a an overarching uh, regulation around it. You see different movements in different parts of the world. You know, the western um, western part of the world tends to have one approach to biometrics. When you see in the eastern world, uh, you know, in Asia and and in the Middle East, a little bit you. And some of this is just down to cultural differences and and, and how you work. But I think you know most people. What we want to work on as we as we go forward is really just ensuring that one of the principles like we see in the GDPR data privacy regulation and 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 Europe is you know you only retain the data for for what you need you don't gather it for anything else you ensure that you have consent and the consumer has consent and you know one of the great things and you know I think we've seen this in some of the work that that we've done together you know with you and the team Jeff is in this design you know how can we design use of biometrics to enhance a citizen consumer experience, but 
do it in a decentralized way. The, the problem with a lot of systems that, that people are afraid of is, you know, you have credit bureaus and other data providers out there that have these silos of data, which are honeypots for people to hack into. And so we, we've tried to, to go with an approach where the data would be stored locally, you know, with the individual and, you know, would be encrypted. And, you know, the, and then the consumer is really choosing how they want to use that data. So if they're trying to sign up for, you know, just a basic account at a retail site, you know, maybe they only just give them their address and email. They don't have to give them their real name or date of birth or confirm. So that's really, and I think that when we work with the market and we work with others in the market, they're definitely bad actors that are out there that, as you said, just want to make a buck and do some, do some bad things, which are bad for the overall industry. But, you know, we're working very closely with other providers that have similar approaches to this market to ensure that, you know, we, we make sure that we, you know, do the right thing, you know, because if we, we have an opportunity here to do some really tremendous things for people's lives. And, you know, we want to make sure that we don't cause mistrust and you know, just really trying to focus on that. Yeah. One example of that, that I had learned and reading a bit more about some of the case studies that you guys have is, you know, how you guys have helped India as a country basically keep an identity because people don't sometimes don't give, get an identity when they're born, you know, like outskirts of town. And so how, how do you help people from the get go know that, oh yeah, these people have been, have had their, you know, vaccines or immunizations and there's a record of that, right? Or there's a, there is, you can't just lose your identity and lose everything. But I thought that was like a cool, cool example of how you guys are, you know, helping uh, kind of countries around the world. But going back to this ethical aspect that, that we've been talking about, you know, you mentioned privacy, kind of individual privacy, kind of consent, also having a decentralized versus centralized sort of uh, honeypot, as you mentioned, for, for hackers to hack into. Those seem like kind of key principles that would appease a lot of people's concern with the use of all the novel use cases that could make our life a lot easier in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think it as we build and we continue to move forward, that that's really you know what we want to do. It's um, as you mentioned in India and ensuring you know we do this for other countries as well. Is is that enrollment? We talk about the elimination of waste, and and that's where it really can come in because as you said, now we can start tracking who's gotten, who's gotten vaccines, who's gotten immunizations. You know, we're not giving people extras that, that don't need it and ensuring that, that people get what they deserve. And you see examples like this um, all over the world. Like there, there was an example a few years ago in Pakistan where in the old days, and this is a payments use case, but this is what biometrics can, can help when we talk about citizen um, issues is in the old days, the, the Pakistan police force um, would pay the sergeant who would then distribute the funds to, to the police on, on his squad, but they shifted to direct payments. And then all of a sudden, these lowly police officers had a 40% boost in pay because the sergeants have been skimming, skimming money off the top. And that has a knock-on effect to corruption and bribery, right? Because people are getting what they want. And so now when now that we have this and we, we're ensuring all the aid money is going to the right people at the right time and you're eliminating, you know, people skimming money off the top, be it five, 10 percent, you know, that's you're, you're talking billions of dollars. We want to ensure we, we do that. And again, but we want to do it ethically. And that's, again, where it's we want to ensure that the citizens have control of their identity and are knowledgeable and, and give consent that if you want to sell your picture for a marketing purpose, that's up to you. It's not up to another data provider that's out there doing it behind your back. Right. 
I think that's the the key here is that it's like if you can permission consent to all these different things, be like, oh, I'm giving away my this biometric or that biometric because I'm going to do a big transaction, makes sense, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a loan or whatever. Like, but oh, if I'm just entering the stadium, I got, I, I give them, the, you know, the the minimum, right? Yeah. But I'm going to do it because it makes it easier and because it's localized and and it's decentralized and it's encrypted, and poof, I'm going to totally skip that line where I didn't, you know, that resonates with me a lot. Let's jump into the the future and uh, and kind of dig in there a little bit more. So, how do you see how do you see kind of the space evolving in the next kind of ten to twenty years? And then and then from there, like, what is that going to unlock? You know, like, what are we going to see unlock for us? I know digital ID is a huge thing right now, and then we're kind of scratching the surface. So, I'd, I'd love to kind of dig into that a little bit because it's it's an important aspect of this. But how do you see the field evolving in the next kind of ten to twenty years? Yeah, well, I think, and I don't know about you, Jeff, but but growing up, you know, I always had this vision of my Jetson life. You know, I, I think we're we're finally getting there. We, I think we're about to get our flying cars, and you know, <laughs> we, we can do the FaceTime and everything else. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I took the job. I'm like, oh, we, we can finally realize our Jetson life over the next decade. And and really, what and I mentioned it earlier, it's really going back to the movement and, and non reliance on devices. So, you know, the convergence of, you know, cloud computing with your digital identity. And, you know, we kind of talked a little bit, you know, just a few minutes ago around, you know, where you, you know, consumers and citizens will have this data and then stored encrypted. But now you can use a biometric out in the real world that, that you have control of. So when you do go to open your car or you're going to make, go to get some coffee or, or whatnot, you can use your face or you can use some other biometric to, you know, conduct the transaction without having a physical wallet, without having a phone, um, that you just do it with who you are. And so it's really going to help free up a lot of a lot of those um, tethers that, that we have in today's world and, you know, can can really start to do some things. And, you know, you can see, you know, device manufacturers with, you know, the doing glasses and, and these other things. Um, but the reason I mentioned the ear canal is because I think one one of the aspects people may be able to use in the future, you see a different approach than yours is maybe you know earbuds and using that. But you know I think within the next ten years, as we go through this trajectory, we should be able to do ninety percent of our daily life without anything, just walking around and having that interconnectivity of platforms. So it's a super exciting time. I'm really excited to be part of it. And I know some of the projects, again, that, that we've worked on uh, with you all, you know, has, is going to help us realize this uh, come out and, you know, just is going to be you know, really exciting for, for people to experience. Going back to that, and so the Jetsons life, I just love the sort of the, the vision of that. And, you know, you mentioned not needing, you know, keys or wallets or credit cards and be able to kind of interact in your day to day, all these little tethers, these little access points, you know, that, that if we could if we could get rid of those things which are, are more and more being tied to our phone then then technology could be invisible you know i think and that's where it's like we've been narrowing all of our view into these devi- the mobile device and i heard um, i read a study a few studies that kind of validated more or less the same point we look at our phones apparently like 350 times a day it used to be like 95 times a few years ago and so like more and more our life is like centralized around this thing Pandemic accelerated even further. Okay, we're just we're just going to order our groceries now. Our little device here, you know, um, wh- you know, whatever it is, it's like it accelerated that even further. 
And yet, you know, and so we're so heads down on these devices. How do we look up and kind of, and just have a more natural experience? I think the future is where technology is invisible, but you can't do that unless you, you pair that with advanced biometrics, right? And, and it seems like we have all the technology today. We just haven't nailed sort of the, we haven't quite overcome the fear of, of using that technology. And then maybe all the usability that kind of makes it so seamless from kind of enabling all the, the ecosystem, kind of like, you know, maybe that's akin to kind of the, the electric car where it's like, yeah, the technology has been around for a while, but we're just now getting to the point where everyone's sort of getting on board, right? And I don't know if that's a fair analogy, but it seems like that's similar here. It's like, okay, we, we have all the technology, but we're just now getting to the point where like everything's, you know, coming together where we can make some giant strides. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, there are analysts that are out there. You know, one of them is, you know, the, you know, Gartner has a wave and, and they kind of show, you know, the various elements. So the all the things that we talked about, you know, they, they sh- through their research, they can kind of say within the next five to six years, this is how it will go. And you look at it and, you know, from someone that's in the market, like that makes sense. And like you said, it, you know, invisibility, I think is a great, great way to, to frame it. But a lot of it is around, you know, consumer acceptance. And, you know, we were talking earlier that we sell business to business. We don't sell directly to consumers and, and don't interact that way. But, you know, until the consumer is comfortable and, and ready to utilize these technologies that are out there, you know, businesses are still going to going to wait. So, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time on that education and, and just making sure that, you know, we, like we said, we, we do it respectfully. We build trust and consent and, and make sure that, that everything is, is working so people can really start to delve into it. And as you said, let's start getting away from looking at our devices all the time <laughs> and, and looking up because uh, the world's a great place. Yeah, the world is a great place. And yet I think we've been lost recently and, and technology moves so fast, you know, humans don't adapt as quickly. And so I think this, there's like this promise, I think on the other side, and it's, it's components like this that, that enable us to kind of get back to being more human, you know? So I'm really excited about it. But I think generally, if we think about the population at large, I think there's, there is more fear. It's sort of like robotics, you know, it's like people fear robotics and maybe movies have played into that, but the the reality of robotics is like, it's much like computers. It's going to help the world. It's going to all the dirty, dull, dangerous, like, you know, mundane work. That's not really good for the human spirit, you know, will hopefully be a little bit more, there's going to be some automation. And when the computer came out, people feared that too. And the reality was it changed it changed how people work. We have way more knowledge workers than, than we do manual laborers. But you know, doing the same mundane thing isn't isn't good for the human spirit in general. You know, isn't good for humanity. And and I think, as we think about all these gatekeeping things that restrict our movement, that require all this authentication, that that require that are also ha- being hacked into. And it's like we all see the hacking instances. Like I get like a, a yearly, at least once a year, so, you know, a notification in the mail that someone's going to give me two years of free, you know, Experian uh, credit monitoring <laughs> because my my data has been hacked by XYZ. And so the hunt, there's like, there's millions of honeypots around. And so like, you know, kind of raising the bar, you know, this notion of, I think you mentioned like getting rid of passwords, like how, how amazing would that be? Right. But I think we have to get used to the idea that, okay, we're going to share some biometrics, but if we control that and it's decentralized, you know, then, then why not? Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you just mentioned it because I, I mean, I know we talked about, you know, some of the advantages in 10 to 20 years, but I think the 
biggest change consumers will see just in the next year or two is, yeah, getting rid of passwords. And the ridiculous, you know, what was the color of your car that you owned 15 years ago and that, the, you know, your mother's maiden name type stuff, you know, that, that stuff is going to go away. And, and you are going to start to see, you know, the, especially on your device, um, and it will be linked to your device, but, you know, the use of a biometric to then, you know, reconfirm and reauthenticate yourself. But, you know, I have, I have a password storage program. I don't know if you do. I, I'm a little bit of a nerd, but, you know, I have 175, I think. Oh, of course. Unique username and passwords out there to protect myself. And it's ridiculous that we have to do that. Oh, it's insane. In addition to the conversation we had with our guest on today's episode, we asked another expert to provide their insights on the future. My name is Tammy Hawkins. I'm Director of Cybersecurity and Fraud at Intuit. I feel biometrics continue to be key to security. Humans simply cannot remember passwords, and we make so many of them. At this point, passwords are not safe. If I cannot remember them, then I make the same one over and over and over again. So what good was it making people have so many passwords to begin with? If I find it in one place and you've used it in 30, my goodness gracious, now I can take over your whole life. That is unsafe. How do we ensure that we are protecting this data? I personally believe currently some of the strongest ways are a combination of using a hardware factor, like a pass key for something you have as one authentication factor, combined with many other authentication factors, including your fingerprint, your voice, your face, combined with how you behave. Where are you accessing your data and device from? Does it still look like Tammy, even though it's claiming to be Tammy based on behavior, based on hardware, based on also physical biometrics? This is going to help us replace and get away from using the flawed password. So what about challenges? You know, we have this great promise of what the future can offer us, but what are some of the challenges you anticipate and kind of get in there? Yeah. So I think, you know, we talked about, we, we talked quite a bit about the consumer side, you know, just the acceptance. I, I think on, on the business side, you know, the reason why we're saying this is going to take 10 to 15 years for you to go out and make a payment with your face is that it does require effectively an infrastructure upgrade. Infrastructure. Yeah. So, you know, every point of sale terminal now has to be capable of accepting something, be it, you know, have a camera installed or, or whatnot. So, you know, that's going to be a significant upgrade for retailers, food providers, um, everything out there. And, you know, I, I think we are starting to see that because you're starting to see a lot of great advancements. And I'm sure you know this significantly better than I do, but just around video analytics and, and virtual reality type things. And, you know, you're, you're seeing more of a, a movement towards different ways to utilize screens and video out in the real world for shopping experiences and whatnot. So, you know, hopefully we, we can, you know, be part of that upgrade path to really do it. And, you know, we're having a lot of discussions to kind of enable that, but that that's usually when we talked about, you know, we talked about the, the changes and challenges for advanced biometrics that, you know, how do you get a biometric? That's, you know, one of the big things it's become easier, but, you know, we still have, you know, infrastructure issues that, that we have to overcome to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some patience required there. Yeah. 
But, you know, it seems like there's like a tipping point with a lot of technology where it's like, okay, I mean, who everyone, as soon as they got the face pay sort of thing, it's like, you don't even think about it now. Right. And so there's like a tipping point probably of acceptance. Also, I would say it seems like half the small businesses I'm visiting are asking me to, to sign and, and put in a tip now. And like, so I'm signing a device that probably could have a camera or many of them already do, right? Where it's like that could, that could just as easily, you know, be able to enable some sort of biometrics so that I'm not entering a card. Obviously there's, you know, the, the Apple pay aspect, but that, that may not be, you know, the more we tethered to kind of the, the mobile device, the more we are attached to the 350 times I'm looking at the mobile screen per day. And that just doesn't seem good for the, for humanity is, it's compounded a lot of uh, social issues and, and uh, psychological mental issues being so tethered to something. So how do we, how do we untether in a sense? And I think part of the answer is what we're, we're discussing today. Yeah. That, and, and I do think it is getting into the conversations with, you know, the, these technology providers that are out there and the hardware providers to, to give them an easy upgrade path. Um, and I think that that's sort of been the challenge for a lot of biometrics companies that are out there is, you know, getting involved in that infrastructure and, you know, having something that that's easy um, and, and cost effective. Right. It, and that's, you know, the balance, like any upgrade for technology is where is that tipping point uh, between costs and, and money savings and, you know, why it's good to work in the fraud space is because we have demonstrable proof that, that we can lower fraud. So you can build business cases and, and really start that. And, you know, and I think we are going to start to see over the coming year, to your point, like just walking into a, a restaurant instead of having the little screen where you have to sign and do all the tipping that, you know, it, it will have a camera um, and, you know, you will be able to use your face and, and start to use that, you know, in select areas. But as people start to become more comfortable, then, you know, we'll start to see that become more ubiquitous and, and go out. So, you know, I think, you know, to your point, these tipping points, uh, you know, these Malcolm Gladwell type things, uh, you know, we're going to start to see those dominoes fall, you know, over the coming years. I think we already are. Yeah. But, you know, I think Apple did a, a, hu a huge favor for the industry for just, you know, kind of slipping that that piece of technology, helping people get comfortable with it. But I think the notion that it's localized and it, you're giving consent is sort of, the, the, you know, the key on that, because if that can be you know part of that future, then I think people are going to be a lot more, a lot more comfortable with it. Agreed. We are heading into another exciting computing revolution. As artificial intelligence improves with amazing breakthroughs like generative AI, I'm sure like many of you, I, I've been playing with ChatGPT and just the amount of value that artificial intelligence will continue to add to our lives, to our products, to our productivity as human individuals is just absolutely mind blowing. I personally believe artificial intelligence will significantly improve not only our humans' capabilities in a good way, it's going to unfortunately superpower threat actors' capabilities in ways that we may not be proactively considering yet. And one emerging area that I would like to mention is the use of deep fakes. Deep fakes are the use of artificial intelligence combined with biometric samples. Samples of video, of photos, of audio, of someone the threat actor would like to pretend to be. There's already published examples of threat actors using video and audio samples to pretend to be a customer of a bank to get beyond the bank's security controls, which includes physical and vocal biometrics, with the awesome computing power that is coming. 
in artificial intelligence and with quantum computing with this new threat vector, new security controls have to be considered. And I believe some of those security controls to be considered are doubling down on what I call system observed behavioral biometrics. Instead of only validating, let's say Tammy sounds like who she says she is, or that she looks like who she says she is, can we also validate that she's behaving the way that she always has? Being able to continue to trust but verify customers in layered ways using biometrics, I believe is another key in protecting as our artificial intelligence and computing powers become more and more powerful. We should assume that each layer of biometrics will continue to be challenged and routed around by the threat actors. So as always, you have to take a layered approach that utilizes many signals to constantly understand the risk and when you're trusting versus when you need to more deeply verify that someone is who they say they are and should be doing what they're attempting to do. I have two more questions for you before we kind of wrap up. One is who's, you know, you're you're a leader in this space with all the experience you have, sort of the vision you have and and the and the pragmatism as well to be like, hey, it might take us 10 to 15 years to get there and I'm going to be working on it, but it still might take us 10 to 15 years. We we need that we need the vision, but also, you know, someone who's who's diligent and patient. What's another leader kind of in this in the biometrics technology space that you that you might admire or look look to? I'm probably not going to give the the most typical answer, uh, but okay. but it's a woman um, named Amba Kock. and the reason she's not a technologist, she doesn't build biometrics, or she's not out there with a the company that, that's pitching it. But she's a she's a, a legal scholar who who's now you know a senior advisor um, to the FTC and, and chairs something called the um, the AI Institute. And the reason Amba is just you know really really impressive is when we talk about going back earlier, just around ethics and, and use of it. She's very, very pragmatic about her approach that biometrics from a legal and policy point of view um, have a place and, and can help consumers, but ensuring that, you know, keeping organizations like ourselves and, and other ones that are out there honest. And, you know, like I said, for, for citizens and consumers to really reap the benefits of all the things we can do, we really need really strong proactive advocates in the legal and policy realm that are out there that are, you know, helping shape and ensuring that regulations that are going to come down, that have responsible use, that have responsible ethics and and put conditions on us and in a way that ensures that the whole market, you know, really is for the benefit and use. And so, you know, I think she, she's done some fantastic work. She helped publish um, about 120 page document or so about two years ago, just around guiding principles and also use cases. That, that we've seen. One also cites, you know, use cases in India as well that, that you mentioned earlier. So I would, you know, for anyone that's out there, I, I think she, she's a great resource to kind of see, you know, how from a legal and policy point of view, this market's developing. Such an important aspect uh, to get this right. Yeah. You know, it seems like it's it's one area that, that if you design it with intent, then there's the great promise, but but without, then there could be more of the peril, you know? And so it's like, it's one of those things that could... It, you know it can blow up in a good way, but it could blow up in a bad way if if you know if you don't have people like Amba that are you know and you that are kind of really thinking about all the all the components that that make it a good system. So you truly have that sort of frictionless future. Speak you know double clicking on that, you know, and that kind of leads me to my last question: is 
any other thoughts on on doing that like how we design it with intent you mentioned some of these key principles but do you have any other thoughts as we think about all the different parties that need to kind of come together it makes this a little bit more complicated you know you got the the business side you have those representing the consumer you have the government bodies but any other thoughts about how we continue to design it with with intent with purpose yeah you know we we did talk about Right. So we talked about the legal policy aspects and, and the work that Amba's doing. And, and we talked some about, you know, the work that we're doing and, you know, some of the design, specific designs that, that we do with customers. But obviously that the biggest nut to crack is that infrastructure and development. So, you know, there, there are a couple foundations that are out there because one of the problems, and we, we see this in lots of technology, is the building of silos, right? And, and you know, there are organizations similar to ours that are out in the market that people see day to day going to the airport, right? You can have a, a biometric to ease your way through airport security and make it easier, but it can't be used anywhere else unless it's accepted there. And, you know, I think one of the core principles for us is we want to enable individuals to use their biometric wherever, right? We, we don't want to put a limitation on doing it just because a business isn't working with us. It doesn't feel right for us. And it's not the right thing for the consumer. So there, there are a couple foundations that are out there. One's called FIDO. One's called OIX. Linux Foundation just came out with an open wallet to really democratize, you know, a lot of these proliferation of wallets that you see these days. So I think really working, you know, with these open standards bodies to, to ensure that, you know, with this vision, you know, the Jetson vision, whatever you want to call it, um, that when, wherever you're at, it doesn't matter what's working there. Like you can use a credit card. That way, when you're walking up, you can use, you know, whatever identity piece you want to use and it's just accepted and it works. And, you know, I think that that's the future we have to work for. So, like you said, a lot of stakeholders, uh, a lot of people out there. But, you know, I think the market is pretty um, cognizant of that and is really trying to work towards that future. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to hear about some of those organizations and that there's, you know, people people working already because you we need the thinkers around this, not just the builders, but we need the thinkers and those with sort of high empathy for all the different parties we need to need to bring together. What we're really observing is an uptick of product abuse across the cybersecurity and fraud space. Now, product abuse is when a threat actor abuses a product for illegitimate gains. For example, a threat actor might use a new social media platform to send harmful content out. Obviously, that's not why the social media platform was designed. It was designed for good actors to send positive content out or useful content out. But unfortunately, there are threat actors in the world or fraudsters that will sometimes use a product that was created for one purpose to use it for a different purpose that you didn't intend. So I would encourage, if you can, have dedicated folks or train your folks that you already have on your teams today that are dedicated to thinking about good actors to think about threat actors proactively and to build, you know, protections against those threat actors. To me, that's how we design with more intent to both protect our customers as well as frustrate the fraudsters and keep them out of our products. Mike, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for your leadership, uh, your vision, your experience, your knowledge um, you kind of shared with us today. Loved hearing from you and look forward to you know building the future together. 
yeah, no, I appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for the time. It's been great. The Future of Podcast is brought to you by Fresh Consulting. To find out more about how we pair design and technology together to shape the future, visit us at freshconsulting.com. Make sure to search for The Future of an Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And on behalf of our team here at Fresh, thank you for listening.